106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Dunder, 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 dunder. Dunder, 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 dunder. Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi guys. Hi Simon. Hey Simon. Today we are continuing our America on Film series by looking at Chicago on Film. So as with previous episodes, Vaughn is kindly uh, agreed to do a brief history of the city, and then after that we'll be discussing six films that are set in the Windy City. But before we get into that, let's briefly start with the term Chicago on film and what that brings to mind. And I'm actually happy to, to go first this time. So I, as, as is the tradition of this podcast, you know, we, we started this podcast with myself because we were looking at America from the outside. And, you know, I don't have any personal connections to Chicago. I am aware of the news and I'm aware of film and television so my perspective is shaped thusly. And for me, I, I think of Chicago and Chicago on film is like this big city. It's got you know grand architect ar- architecture and tall buildings and you know the bridges. And in a way, it kind of feels a little bit like New York's little brother. And you've got certain uh, history built into that. So you've got the 1920s and 30s sort of gangsters and then you've got uh, the, the kind of some of the, the black history and some of the uh the sort of um representation of of what the news stories that were coming out in like the 60s and 70s and i will touch on that a little bit later but you've got things like trial of chicago 7 and um that, that kind of thing you, you've also then got like the hollywood blockbusters so things like the dark knight which are filmed there even though it's gotham city it, it's filmed in in Chicago, and then you've got other Hollywood films like The Fugitive or Primal Fear, who needs they, they need a, a interesting looking city to be set in, and a city with you know certain kinds of history and certain things that the uh, a city can bring to it. And to me, Chicago's a really interesting mix of things that can be both the kind of travel log things to see, and buildings to see, and our architecture to see. That we'll, we'll touch on some of the, the films that we're going to uh, cover later. So you've got you've kind of got that from a, a purely aesthetic f- film basis. It's a good city to to set basically any kind of film, and particularly crime films. Actually, it's, it's great for that. Mm-hmm. But then it's also got like a a pre built set of historical charges with it as well. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't have a a personal connection to Chicago as with all these cities. But I find it a, an interesting place to, to set a film because it's not as iconic as in New York, but it's still a great city to set a film. And then beyond that, as we'll, we'll see with some of the, the films we're going to touch on, there are real stories of you know inequality or you know be that um, you know health or wealth or education or race or you know, whatever the case may be. There's a real spread of, of things throughout Chicago. Um, which goes beyond just the, the aesthetics of beautiful buildings. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an interesting film, interesting city to set a film 
and one that I think lends itself particularly to certain types of films, quite notably um, uh, sort of crime dramas and that kind of that kind of thing. Um, I don't know who wants to go next. If anyone has any thoughts on Chicago on film, no, it's um, basically. That was quite comprehensive. It's, it's, it's sort of exactly the same way I, th- I think mm-hmm. of Chicago. For me, the the thing that strikes out most when I think about Chicago on film is the is the nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. You know the yeah. the exuberance of the periods, um, prohibition, alcohol, speakeasies, Al Capone himself. <laughs> you know this this roaring figure who actually comes from New York yeah. um, to, to mm-hmm. start with, you know, and then goes to Chicago and be, you know, becomes the biggest gangster in the world. Um, I think, I think of newsreel f- footage. Mm-hmm. I think of, um, I think almost like the 1920s in some ways is as much, you know, captured in media as about Chicago as is it, is it about New York, you know, mm-hmm. and Chicago mm-hmm. does have this kind of prominence as a city, um the, the the city as as simon says is this is this great metropolis um in some ways it's it's secondary to new york but in other ways you know i mean it's like there's two million people you know in the mm-hmm. why the chicago area so it's 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 this huge teeming mass of you know urban sprawl and with all the kinds of dynamics that we see in other large uh, cities, it obviously has this Irish Catholic contingent, is the African American mm-hmm. contingent, and um, and I think the, the the second thing I really think of when I think about Chicago is I think of this this almost hinge point in the nineteen sixties, nineteen sixty eight, the the Chicago Convention, yeah. where Mayor Daley, you know, the representative. You know, who was a Democrat in in many ways, and um, in some ways on fiscal policies, you know, reasonably progressive, but a representative of a of a sort of silent majority of you know lower middle class people who had emerged in the post war period, but who didn't want the world to change, represented by you know the the police officers who beat the the incoming and changing america literally uh beat the protesters you know beat beat the hippies beat the african-americans and it, it becomes a place a, a, a hinge point and a point of clash in the in the whole culture and again you know as they said the world's watching and yeah. again the world is watching chicago as the culture changed so chicago um in many ways like new york is a place where big things happen a place where the world's the place the world watches um you know it's a, it's an exuberant place it's a, it's a, it's an important place and i think it's uh, captured on film again in that way and then i think after that i i tend to think of as simon says the it's it's another place where superhero movies can be shot you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a it's the um the so in some ways the empty um metropolitan signifier that you can stick uh, DC superheroes in mm-hmm. and they have a place to go, a place to roam, um, in many ways like New York, a uh, place with changing different stories, different different cultures and communities. Um, yeah, and, and another place where the world meets and another place where superheroes themselves can, even DC superheroes who are basically gods, 
can make world news as they do in the in the in the comic books and in the television shows. So, so yeah, it's it's it's, it's um, as much as Chicago's history is on film. Chicago as a genre is a space where great things and big things can happen. So yeah, I think Chicago in many ways for me is uh, an essential city in America and uh, Chicago on film is it can tell great and large stories about America as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with, with everything both of you have said. Um, I think for me, one of my favorite films is one that we're not discussing today, just Chicago 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love that film. I think it's fantastic. And that's the first thing I think of when I think Chicago is like the twenties, the like murder and sexy people doing (laughs) sexy things, you know, like it's, that's definitely the first thing I think of um, prohibition era gangsters and everything. And then my mind jumps to 68. So um, maybe one other thing that I would add is just from a historical standpoint, I, really associate Chicago with um, labor activism Mm. and uh, socialist kind of people's movements, um, which we'll talk a lot more about today. So that's that's probably the only other thing that I would add. Um, And probably hot dogs and pizza (laughs) are what I think of for Chicago on film. And you have some uh, passionate thoughts about Chicago pizza. I do, and I won't be sharing them. Um, <laughs> right, right. What, what are these? What are these thoughts? Uh, uh, you might not. Val might not necessarily be in favor of how um, Chicago. Uh, it's a casserole. Okay. Well, you you not... mean a delicate little pizza with the crust? That's no, that's New York. No, 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 no. It's, it's little. It's little. The little, the little pizzas. The the little Chicago pizzas. Is this? Is Am I am I wrong about this? Oh, the, you, like like the ones that like Tesco? They're not thin. The Chicago pizzas. They're are you no, thinking? No. Yeah, are you thinking like the smaller ones? Like yeah, the, the smaller ones. Yeah, like this Chicago town style. Like, oh, yeah. those are yeah. those are those are all right. But like Chicago yeah. pizza is like deep dish pizza. Yeah, it's it, like you have like fucking two inches of like shit in your pizza. That's a casserole. That's not a pizza. I'm so sorry to any of our listeners who are in Chicago. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And I believe there are okay as long as uh, as long as the little pizzas, are, are cool. <laughs> no, the little ones are fine. The little ones are fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes, there probably is a whole a whole other podcast we could we probably could actually do a side podcast on the pizzas uh, and food of different cities. Um, but mm-hmm. we should we should probably we should do a food one. We really Sorry, should. That's a different conversation, but we should do that. That sounds fun. But okay. Chicago on film, I think of hot dogs. Hot dogs. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm that that might get covered later when we may or may not go to Wrigley Field and do other mm. things. Um, Vaughn, you are amazing, and as always, you have put together that's a, a fact. that's a fact. <laughs> I I only speak facts. Uh, uh, you are amazing, and you have put together uh, another little brief mini history of Chicago. Um, I believe you said from World War One onwards. So, um, without any further ado. Um, Chicago. Right. Thank you. Um, So everything that you guys just said about what you expect to see from Chicago on film um, is spot on with the the history of it. And I'm just going to fill in a bit of 
details around everything we just said. So Chicago is known for um, three things really in terms of 20th century history. So, um, and, and in terms of their economy. So one is the manufacturing industry, one is retail, and the other is this like kind of vast transportation network. Um, Chicago's transportation in the 20th century, the early 20th century, connected the Midwest to the East Coast of the US and also connected um, all of the ports along the Great Lakes. So Chicago had one of the busiest ports for shipping traffic, and it also had the largest um, railroad hub in the US in the early 20th century. So that immense transportation and railroad is going to be more important as we continue going on. Um, so as you said, starting in World War I, and as we discussed with Philadelphia, World War I expanded industries in most Northern cities. And this was most true for Chicago. Uh, it created thousands of new jobs. And as a result of that, Chicago received over um, or nearly 200,000 African-Americans from the South between 1910 and 1930 as part of the Great Migration in the early 20th century. So this like massive influx of citizens is sometimes referred to for Chicago specifically as the Chicago Black Renaissance because of the vast kind of cultural uh, impacts that swept through Chicago in terms of art and literature and music from this, this massive um, group of African-Americans coming into the city at such a peak time. So, um, of course, as with other cities experiencing the Great Migration, racial ten tensions grew and violence towards Black Americans exploded around the city, such as in the Chicago race riot of 1919. Now, these tensions and overt racism behind them are still very present today in Chicago, as with a lot of the cities that experienced the Great Migration. Um, also in 1919, the 18th Amendment was ratified, instilling prohibition, which made the sale of alcoholic beverages illegal in the United States between 1919 and 1933 when prohibition was repealed. During prohibition, Chicago became infamous for bootleggers and gangsters, as we said, such as Al Capone and Bugs Moran, who frequently went to war with the police and other gangs in the streets of Chicago. Uh, one of these famous kind of battles was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1929, in which Al Capone sent Bugs Moran to gun down members of a rival gang. Throughout the 1920s, um, Chicago was booming with expansion and new construction and art deco designs that are still iconic of the city today. That's, that's where a lot of that architecture that you guys mentioned comes from. The Great Depression um, through the 1930s absolutely devastated Chicago. So the city having just had this boom through World War I and extremely reliant on heavy industry, it was hit very hard with over 50% of industrial jobs being lost in the city by 1933. Unemployment rates were dispro disproportionately um, impacting black and Mexican citizens with those rates over 40%. 
and many people in the city blamed the Republican political machine of Chicago for this kind of poor handling of the economic crisis. And as a result of that, every mayor since 1931 has been a Democrat in Chicago. Federal relief um, arrived in Chicago in 1933 after a five-year tax revolt nearly bankrupted the city. And Chicago's um, labor activism became one of the most organized in the country during the Depression, and unions sprang up in the wake, including the um, Unemployed Councils and the Workers' Alliance of America, who organized the poor and destitute through the Depression. In 1933 and 34, Chicago hosted the Century of Progress International Exposition World's Fair, highlighting technological innovation in the century since Chicago's founding. During World War II, Chicago's industries rebounded massively, producing more steel than the United Kingdom every year from 1939 to 1945. So the Great Migration also rebounded after the Depression, drawing hundreds of thousands more Black citizens from the South to jobs in the steel mills and railroads and shipping yards as part of the, the war effort. Um, on December 2nd, 1942, the world's first nuclear reaction was conducted at the University of Chicago as part of the Manhattan Project, um, ultimately leading to the creation of the atomic bomb in 1945. So in the immediate post-war period, we had this, this second wave of the Great Migration during the war, bringing um, hundreds of thousands of, of African-Americans, as I said, into Chicago. When the war ended, we had all of these returning veterans and immigrants from Eastern Europe um, who were displaced from the war coming into Chicago. And all of this created a massive economic boom. Um, as a result of that, there was huge housing issues and huge housing developments being commissioned in the Northwest and Southwest sides of the city. In the 1950s, the city returned to expansion um, to accommodate, accommodate this massive influx of, of people again, um, and began even more transportation construction. So they opened O'Hare, um, Chicago's international airport in 1956, and built new highways and commuter tra train lines. And as this did with many cities around the country, um, creating all of these, these commuter train lines and having this influx of um, immigrants and Black Americans into the city led to middle and upper class white people moving out of Chicago into the suburbs. So as people moved out of the city and the increased wartime demand for the steel industry dropped off through the 50s, jobs began to become scarce again and the population that had just boomed in the immediate post-war shrank by nearly 700,000 in the 1950s. Um, the the city, city council, in response to, to these kind of fluctuating developments in the 1950s, devised the, quote, Plan 21 initiative to improve neighborhoods in the inner city and create, quote, suburbs within the city, end quote, um, in the downtown and lakefront areas. Plan 21 developed public housing, but displaced many marginalized communities from their homes and neighborhoods as a result. 
Now, Mayor Richard J. Daly served from 1955 to 1976, overseeing the transportation developments, the gentrification of the inner city, and the massive unrest that brings us up to the 1960s. So throughout the 20th century, Chicago police were prone to discriminatory practices and violence as seen with the corruption and warring under prohibition. In the 1960s, police discrimination towards people of color was at a peak. The unionization, labor activism, and socialist sentiments that carried Chicago through the Great Depression were still very much a part of Chicago's spirit. And the city saw sit-ins and peaceful protests all over the place, as well as riots throughout the civil rights movement. After the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968, major riots resulted in the total destruction of sections of black neighborhoods in the South and West sides. We'll discuss a lot more about this in a bit, so I'll leave it there for now. Um, protests against the Vietnam War at the 1968 Democratic National Convention resulted in street violence and the televised broadcast of the Chicago police beating unarmed protesters nationwide. Um, also throughout the 1960s, on a lighter note, Chicago's art and music scene continued to foster many brilliant um, R&B artists throughout the mid-century, uh, which we will also get into a bit later. In the 1970s, the Sears Tower was completed and became the world's tallest building at the time. Um, and in 1979, Chicago elected their first female mayor, Jane Byrne, who led Chicago's school system out of a financial crisis. Uh, in 1983, Harold Washington was elected the first black mayor of Chicago, who immediately directed attention and funds to poor and neglected minority communities in the city. Um, that has been an ongoing battle throughout all of the 20th century and through today still. In 1989, Richard M. Daley, who is the son of Richard J. Daley, was elected mayor and served until 2011. He demolished many of the city's housing projects with plans for more viable housing that are still being seen through today. Um, and Daley also improved public parks and instated incentives for more sustainable development in the city. Turning forward a bit, in 2019, Lori Lightfoot was sworn in as the city's first African-American woman mayor and its first openly LGBTQ mayor. Um, I think that roughly brings us up to date. So to sum up, Chicago is an industrial city with an iconic culture and architectural uh, kind of design, poised on one of the best connected transportation links in the US and it's just teeming with this incredible diversity among its demographics and has a rich and profound history of art, music, socialist action, labor activism, and this deep kind of compassion in the city's kind of spirit for the impoverished and neglected and otherwise marginalized communities. Have I missed anything that you guys wanted to discuss? Um, no, I mean, that, from my perspective, that kind of touched on everything and you know there are some stuff that we'll, we'll touch on later on in, in a bit more detail as, as you said but i thought that was a really good overview of of the city um i was actually sorry toby was there anything you wanted to add no that was a that was a good a good review of the city and yeah it'd be, it's an interesting canvas from which we can explore the mm -hmm. the, the films in the in, in the city 
And Absolutely. again, it's, a, it's many of the sort of grand changes in the 20th century are captured in, in that, you know, from prohibition to uh, suburbanization to race mm-hmm. riots to um, deindustrialization. So, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Absolutely. Uh, before we do go on to the cities, uh, sorry, to the films of the city, um, I was just going to ask you a question, which is slightly outside of this one. Um, this is now your fourth time doing this for us, our fourth episode of America on mm-hmm. film. Uh, as a historian who's kind of, you know, you're still fairly early on in your career and, you know, this is um, still fairly early on in the podcasting life. How do you find this sort of challenge of taking on sort of overviewing a city in 10 minutes or whatever it is <laughs> and learning about the city? Do you enjoy the challenge? Does it ha- have different challenges than than kind of what you're doing in I your, mean, your own you work. are a historian, right? You're not going to get any of us to do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair and, and good question. Thank you for asking. Um, I do find it a really interesting task because um, as we kind of said on the other ones, I have a very personal relationship with Philly and I have a very personal relationship with Boston. And New York, I've been there tens of times. I, some of my best friends live there. So I have this, like, I, I know the city a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also like, well, at least New York is a more iconic city. So I know the history of it just by living in society, you know? Yeah. But Chicago is is a more interesting one. And um because I don't have a personal kind of connection to it. So I didn't really know where to start or what to cover with this one. So I found it a lot um, like more difficult than the other ones, but it's a really interesting kind of exercise to decide what to include here. Like for instance, I did not say that in 1924, Chicago had the first um, LGBTQ rights organization in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very interesting bit of, of history that I chose to not put into a like condensed 10 minute version. But if I had, that would have helped to kind of spin that or kind of highlight the, the activism and social care of the city, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, it's a task that I have to kind of balance what we're going to discuss in the films as being the most important parts to discuss in the history of it. Mm -hmm. And it's in no way a comprehensive history of the city, if that makes sense. So what I'm saying is I'm amazing at what I do and you're welcome. (laughs) You're welcome, America. (laughs) You're welcome, America. Um, No, no, thank you. It was always fun. That that was great. And it also did make me think that maybe we should do, when you're talking about like prohibition, maybe we should do like, uh, uh, like wine in America or like alcohol mm. in America episodes just so that we could pick up your interest even more. Yo, yeah, I'm here for that. I'm all right with that. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Let's get on with some films. Um, so the first one we're going to talk about is The Untouchables, uh, 1987 crime film directed by Brian De Palma and stars Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro and Sean Connery, uh, with the latter winning an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance. Uh, the film follows Elliot Ness, played by Costner, uh, as he forms The Untouchables to bring down Al Capone, 
uh, played by Robert De Niro uh, during the, the Prohibition era. Um, yeah, it is a sort of classic depiction of uh, pre-World War II Chicago. Um, before we, uh, before Toby, I get your thoughts on this. Vaughn, I was hoping to start with you first, only because you were watching this uh, the other day. And then you had a sudden realization that you had actually seen the film before, and it was kind of uh, stuck away in your 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 past that you had seen this film. So I, I was wondering uh, what you think of the film, and then uh, how that kind of came about as an experience watching it again in preparation for this uh, recording. Um. Yeah. As you say, I I thought I hadn't seen this film. I thought I didn't even know what it was when you. <laughs> when you recommended it for the list and I was like, all right, whatever, I'll watch it. And in like the first musical notes of the film, I just, a memory was unlocked and I was like, oh my God, I've seen this. And I remember the entire film. It was you know what that is? That, that's um, Ennio Morricone. Yes. Is the, yes. Is the, and, and just one note of uh, Morricone in, in your memory, just, it just opens up because it's I, so beautiful. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I really think it was that because, yeah, he's an incredible composer. And then the whole film just has like iconic kind of uh, mm-hmm. casting crew. Yep. It just, yeah, it really, it really unlocked something for me that I watched this when I was like seven with my grandfather in Massachusetts, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, which probably I shouldn't have watched it as a seven year old. And that's probably why I didn't remember <laughs> it. But whatever. It, it was an interesting watch. Um, what did you Robert think of the? So I was gonna say, what did you think of the depiction of both, sort of the the story it was telling and also the actual city on film? Um. So, I don't know if because I watched it so young that this was so in my mind as what Chicago is, but it mm. was almost like a perfect kind of capturing of how I saw in my head Chicago yes. in the twenties. Um, lots of gangsters and police walking around in plain clothes carrying shotguns nobody bats an eye um it yeah i think i think it did a good job capturing that kind of history of the city um i don't know if it really did anything else for social aspects of the city at the time i mean it was it was the 20s so there was a lot happening yeah um in Chicago, a, a lot of booming, a lot of, uh, as I said, diverse communities coming into the city. So I, I don't think it really captured any social aspects, but in terms of the history of prohibition and the corruption in the police force, and well, actually it didn't really capture that much of the corruption in, in the police force because Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness is like the straightest edged person. Yes, although he does have to navigate his way around and he goes to basically to the police academy to recruit an additional police officer because he can't trust any of the the people uh sort of yeah around. that's true so i, I yeah. there, there is maybe it's not fully in depth as you say but they certainly touch upon this this idea that um there are people on, on the take within the police department and um mm-hmm. you kind of maybe have to go get some fresh blood in order to uh to uh to catch the uh catch people you're after sorry but i yeah. interrupted you i well the the only other two things I would say is that um, in my head, I thought the untouchables would be Al Capone because he was seemingly untouchable by the federal government. They kept trying to capture him um, and ultimately got him on tax evasion. Mm -hmm. But 
in the film, The Untouchables refers to Kevin Costner not being corruptible yes by the gangsters and i thought that was very interesting probably very obvious to other people but it wasn't to me and i found it interesting and then (laughs) the the other thing i would say is that um they really did robert de niro a disservice in this film (laughs) the hair that they did and i'm still upset about it a couple (laughs) days on so yes imagine how he feels Poor Robert De Niro. He's he's probably recovered, I think. But um, yeah, that, that's not a great look for him. Um, but it's really not. No, uh, Toby, your thoughts on the Untouchables? Uh, my thoughts thoughts on Elliot Ness and the Untouchables is it, you've you've got nothing on me, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Just the cop, fuck you and your family. That's that's my uh, <laughs> that's my thoughts on Elliot Ness and the rest of those scumbags. Um, Chicago cops who try to play with Robert De Niro in this movie. Robert De Niro is fucking phenomenal in this movie. Like, there's a scene where, like, he's just he's just talking, right? He's talking about t- a team and his crew. And there's one guy who just fucked up last night, and and uh, there was a sting operation by Elliot Ness and his uh, you know secret elite team, and the guy is just sitting there and. In the middle of this dinner, in this speech, he just gets a baseball bat and smashes his head in in front yep. of everyone. And then the the, the 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 camera pans down, and you just see the blood. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. <laughs> and there's so many scenes like this in this movie. This is the other scene, like I I just described, where Mess's um friend, the 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 accountant, yes, uh, gets killed. And then um, Ness goes to see Capone and he walks in and he's and he's like uh, something about his friend. One of Capone's guys says he doesn't care. And Ness punches him. And then De- and then De Niro comes down. Yes. And Ness is like, I want to fight you. And De Niro, De Niro, Capone looks like he's going to fight him. Yeah. And then Sean Connery's holding him back. And, and he's, he's- yeah, <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal. And, and the thing about this movie <laughs> Is it um, like I got into movies watching Robert De Niro in in gangster movies and all this, and I really really like this movie. Mm-hmm. And the RT on this movie, the Rotten Tomatoes on this movie is like it's good. It's like eighty seven, mm-hmm. but why isn't it a hundred percent? Because this movie is fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's up there with all those other movies. I mean, there's so many elements of this movie. It's got the Ennio Morricone score, yeah. which like Morricone's scores for a movie like Once Upon a Time in America, people have a lot of problems with Once Upon a Time in America mm-hmm. because it's like scaled to be a great movie. The Morricone score has all yep. these scenes, but there's there's a little bit of a hollowness in there in there somewhere mm-hmm. in the three hours. This movie is tight. The score is great. The acting is great. It's funny. The, the there's long takes like a uh, long yeah like Brian De Palma is using the camera in scenes, yep. in hallways, to track shots, and things like mm-hmm. that. It's, fan- it's a f- really, really well-made movie. And another w- scene I really love in this movie is that they're, they're having a... Because um, I'm, ju- I'm jumping around uh, a lot, and no, I really no. haven't given you a bunch. Another scene I really love in this movie is that they, ha- they do the second bust on the Capone gang. And the Capone gang are... are um, doing another sort of uh, criminal deal on a bridge, and mm-hmm. they go in to 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 try to apprehend them, 
and they take them they basically take them out and Sean Connery um uh, brings someone in and Ness Ness kills one of Capone's guys one this Italian guy and he leaves his body uh on the floor and he's really upset about this because he's Elliot Ness yeah. right because he's like the Mm-hmm. He's the the good boy, you know. He's the upstanding American sweetheart hero. It's 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 really nice to have a family. All this nonsense, and uh, <laughs> uh, and then Connery <laughs> is in uh, <laughs> talking to this guy who won't talk, and he's beating him up, and he's and he's not gonna talk. And then he gets the corpse yep. of the guy who was just killed. killed. Yeah, pretends he's still alive, puts a gun in his mouth and shoots him. Yep. And then the guy completely breaks, the other guy completely breaks down. He like, oh, Jesus, please, like, I'm going to say anything. There's so many great scenes in this movie. I don't think this movie is as well regarded as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's a really great movie. I think it, uh, in terms of the social cultural aspects of, um, although, I, you know, I, uh, De Niro doesn't look that much like a pwn. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the hero is a little bit tragic, <laughs> but he captures the sort of essence of Capone on screen really well. Um, yeah. Kevin Costner's always great playing sort of dopey, uh, good characters or whatever. Yeah. Sean Connery's mm-hmm. fantastic in this movie. The, yeah. um, Frank Nitti is amazing in this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wormy character. Oh, he's yeah. He's around. He's got a gun in, in the in the. In the courtroom, he's he's machine gunning people. He's he's he's, he's killing people in in elevators. He, he he's taking blood and and running on the walls, touchable. Like he it's yeah. So, yeah. There's so many great scenes in this movie. In some ways, I think it, it feels like a cartoon, mm-hmm. and it is a cartoon. And uh, there's there's a lot of like you know the accountants. He's kind of a silly character. One of the really weird scenes in this movie is. Uh, I think Vaughn touched on it earlier when we were talking about it. Is that um, the accountant shooting people, and uh, he's he's managing. He's never used a gun before, but he's managing to take all these guys out in in heavy gunfire. And and his his gun clamps up, and he and then he runs. He charges the person, and the other person's gun clamps up, and then yeah. he hits the person in the balls and takes him out, <laughs> which is a very cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And the film sort of, it's not struggles, but it, like it is, a, it's a, it's a blockbuster. It's a cinema movie. It and is. There's a lot of sort of scenes like that, and this, the film is a cartoon in many ways. It's a caricature of this whole 1920s genre, but it's a, it's a really great caricature. It's really well made by by Brian De Palma, who's yeah. who's mm-hmm. a very good technical director. Obviously, learned you know from. Uh, Goddard and Hitch- Hitchcock to 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 make and construct these scenes in the in this in this cartoon world and I know yeah, I think it's a it's a really great film it's a really uh, cartoonish reflection of the 19, 1920s that on 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 many ways on the surface level but yeah it's a, I, I really love this movie yeah I think you made some really good points it's almost like a a graphic novel or something the way that some of this stuff is sort of staged mm-hmm. and presented on on screen um, there's tons of just beautiful imagery and you've got even throw the palma throw th- things back to like uh battleship potemkin like with the the steps and the woman uh with the baby in the carriage going down there and you've got the kind of the long shots of that and that the tension mm-hmm. is built up there and 
uh, regard, you know, you don't need to know about Battleship Potenkum and, and you know the, the history of cinema to to enjoy this film. But if you do know about these things, you know there are little things that just kind of kind of get added extra as a result of it. But um, I think the two other comments that I would make was yeah, kind of agree with everything you guys said, especially Toby's assertion that um, having a family is kind of a, a not not that important. Uh, <laughs> Um, Sean Connery in this is is a larger than life character, and he is the most Irish Scotsman who has ever lived. Which you know, <laughs> or more Scottish Irishman, or yeah, because he once again is just like it, it's Sean Connery. He's going to have a Scottish accent, and that's just that's just how it is. It doesn't even matter if if his character is Irish; he's he's going to be Scottish. It, it's important that De Niro is. Is the bad guy in this because otherwise if it was a lesser actor i think having someone like costner and someone like sean connery on the other side would potentially overpower the the the, the film but actually being able to get de niro in i think is a was actually a coup for the film because even though he's not in a lot of it when he does come on screen he does kind of take up the energy in the room and he does draw the eye in and i think it's it was excellent they were able to get him and also sean connery is so powerful that he has probably the longest death scene in history. Um, like he gets like assassinated and then it takes like 45 minutes for him to die. And like, that's how much cinema loves Sean Connery that if he's, if we're finally going to see Sean Connery die on screen, he's going to just elongate his death for as long as possible. So he can definitely win the Oscar, uh, which he did. So good on Sean Connery. Um, right. Is there anything else we'd like to, to add on the untouchables or shall we, shall we move on? Okay, I will take that silence as uh, you all wishing to move on, and in which case we'll move on to our, our next film, which is uh, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a 2021 uh, biographical drama directed by uh, Shaka King about the betrayal of Fred Hampton, uh, played by Daniel Kaluuya, uh, chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther, Black Panther Party in the uh, late 1960s, um, and he was uh, betrayed by William O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield, an FBI informant. Uh, Kaluuya uh, won Best Supporting Actor uh, at the Academy Awards for his performance, uh, much just like Sean Connery did in uh, in The Untouchables, so back-to-back uh, Best uh, Supporting Actor uh, wins for our films here. Um I hadn't seen this film until a couple of days ago when we watched it in preparation and I absolutely loved it. I thought the performances were great. I thought it was a, a, a terrific depiction of, of that time. I think the film was actually mainly shot in Ohio, actually, but uh, it does uh, depict uh, this particular story really, really well. And uh, although it is about a particular story, I think you can pick up some of the sort of social and... Um, political aspects of what was going on in America at that time as well. And uh, they're also quite rude to Richard Nixon. So um, that was, that was hurtful, but maybe they were accurate about it. And um, Toby, what are your thought? What were your thoughts on uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? No, I thought this was a really, really great movie. Um, yeah. I think it's good that I read up on the Black Panthers because we did the Black Panther mm-hmm. podcast um, about a year ago now. And yeah, for me, I think and some criticisms have been leveled about this film is that, you know, it doesn't touch so much on the socialist aspects of the Panthers. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, there's, I don't know, I think from a cinematic standpoint, 
you you get you know the the the, the main character here and he comes into a community after being sort of like a, a bit of a, a rogue and the community invites him in he becomes an integ- integrated part of the community he becomes a security guard for the black panthers and there there are community drives and there is not only uh community bonds among the black panthers but they do they they help uh young people with schooling they they feed uh hungry young people in the community and there is this sense of a of a bond that they have uh, established with each other and I think it, and I think from that standpoint, it, it really does touch on the the, the socialist aspects mm-hmm. of, the, of the of the of the Black Panthers. And um, another thing as well is that is is that the FBI in this movie yeah. are probably some of the worst villains I've ever seen. <laughs> the FBI period. The, <laughs> the FBI here is. Uh, in the in the form of Jay of uh, uh, not uh, yeah, in yeah, yeah Jay of Martin Sheen yes. is he's evil, yes. like he's an evil yeah. guy, and he will use any kind of tactics to get what he wants. They will send in fake agents into the Black Panther cadre, they, and fake agents are allowed to kill Panther members. Yep. And, and commit horrendous crimes and either they'll be transferred or it won't matter. That's the level that this FBI is, is dealing with. It's like, it's almost like there are no rules. It's it, the, the, the moral compass of their institution is totally frayed. And uh, the way they, they end up killing um, Hampton in this movie it's yeah. just it's it's, it's just sickening almost you know they, they they go in there and they just flash bullets at, at every at everyone everyone who's in there it doesn't matter if there's a pregnant woman in there it doesn't matter he had to be deleted and 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 i think for a lot of young african americans it, it's 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 a really great kind of movie to see because in 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 terms of these kinds of movies uh there is no white savior in this movie you know mm-hmm. there's no um uh, jesse plemons here is he's a he's a sardonic character he's not a character that's that's you know thinks well you know the fbi maybe they're going too far he's happy mm-hmm. to go along with 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 what the fbi wants happy to go along with what jager who wants happy to try to set up some of the most uh, depraved crimes for, to take down uh, Fred Hampton in this movie, and and I uh, yeah, and I do think that it deletes the white savior complex out of these kinds of movies. It it introduces uh, a sense that yes, the FBI is out to get get you, and they're fucking evil in this mm-hmm. movie. And it and it also deals with the internal life of of the main character as well, because. He's always been by himself. He doesn't really believe in this black, you know, uh, freedom movement. He's, he, he's, he's many, in many ways, he's a bit of a trickster. He's a con man. He's out for himself. Mm-hmm. And he finds this community and he finds a sense of community and bonding. And he, and he also finds a sense of what he should do and, and how he should live his life. But his own 
personal history and his own instincts are pushing him against that. And it's and it's that internal struggle that is so heart wrenching to watch. Um, the person themselves actually committed suicide after um, a few yeah. years. So you could see, like many other people who had infiltrated the Black Panthers um, as spies to the FBI, many of them, they, they had this personal conflict with themselves and, and it broke them. And you could, you, could, you, you could really get that sense in this movie. And in terms of the, the performance that actually plays Fred, Fred Hampton in this movie, it's, it's a glorious performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, both mm-hmm. of these characters were put up for supporting actor, which is a little weird, actually. They yeah. both have been in the, in the main actor um, stakes because they, they, you know, they, they basically... Dual leads. Yeah, the dual leads, they share this movie. And um, and Daniel is, I mean, he's transcendent in this movie. You know, he yeah. he he really wakes up the community. He 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 channels Fred Hampton in in, in a way, and 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 he's 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 a really f- phenomenal character. And you could see why he had the charisma that he did, the sense of presence that he did. He was able to neutralize and bring in other um, black groups uh some some of them who had been involved in crime he's ready to bring them in yeah, and the crimes, make them yeah. part of the, the the community other you know the 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 other racial groups uh other, even white groups uh who yeah, felt dispossessed coalition. yeah all of these groups he's able to bring them in and he he is really a messiah figure and he, he channels that really well he, he channels the error and and the discontent of the error really well, and he's a good man, and you get that sense mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's a, it's an exceptional movie movie in many ways. I think actually, you know, in in an era where we're not actually getting movies like this, it is, it is a rare movie because I yeah. think it's it's one of I I think actually that this is going to be you know in, in national register for movies that need to be kept and restored and, and shown yes. and, and, and yeah. it's in the, the American galaxy of great movies in my opinion yeah absolutely I'm completely with you there it's one of those films which is both important from a d- documenting history point of view but also one that actually works just really well as a film the, the way it's <laughs> able to move the way it's able to present its characters the way you're able to kind of have uh, sort of lines drawn between different sides of things and how your your emotions are kind of moved about as things go on. And uh, you had the Jesse Plemons character, as you say, Toby, who is maybe less overtly racist the way he's kind of presented than like the J. Edgar Hoover, who is like the most grotesque like form of this like mm. racist establishment, whereas uh, Jesse's still, you know, this sort of racist FBI uh, uh, person. And, you know, he, he talks about how the the uh, Black Panthers are basically the equivalent of the KKK and that kind of thing, which is obviously nonsense. Um, but you know, he, he I think he he tries to rationalize the actions of the FBI as trying to you know bring peace, um, and he he sees himself as you know kind of part of the, the moral good, and he does seem a bit uh, conflicted a bit when it's kind of found out that they're using these tactics to. Uh, basically bring in um, people into the sort of infiltrate the Black Panthers and then they can kind of get away with actually killing people. He, he, you can kind of see that kind of confusion on his face when it's presented as such. But you also have a later scene where uh, J. Uh, J. Cooper, uh, Martin Sheen's character, is kind of pressing him on what would happen if his daughter brought a black man home. 
and you can see, you know, it's uncomfortable and he's, you know, not, not trying to think about it. And obviously Martin Sheen's trying to get under his, his skin. Um, but, you know, he does also answer, you know, like that will never happen kind of thing. And, you, you know, perhaps you could read that as him trying to d- d- dismiss the, the conversation because he doesn't want to talk about it because, you know, he wants to get on with business. But I think you could also dismiss it as that has been a genuine answer. Like to him, he he's the type of racist who can kind of get along with like black people on an individual basis if they're kind of doing things for him, but they would never sort of formally uh, be accepted into into his world, um, you know, and and have someone you know um, date his daughter if if they were um, if they were African American. Um, Vaughn, you hadn't seen this film um, prior to prior to this week. Um, what were your thoughts? Um, I had not, but I absolutely loved it, and I agree with a lot of the stuff that you guys have just said. Um, the casting is phenomenal. The acting is phenomenal. Um, the score in this is also mm. amazing. The The history is very accurate um, as far as what I have researched into the Black Panther Party. Um, and I was also, Toby, thinking about our episode with Bill Fletcher Jr. Um, for a lot of it because it really resonated. I'm kind of surprised that there were reviews saying it wasn't as socialist uh, or didn't really portray the socialism that much because um, Fred Hampton in the film repeatedly says, we're not fighting capitalism with black capitalism, we're fighting it with socialism. Yeah. And they they have the free breakfasts for children and the community outreach. Um, they're, one of the, the main kind of subplots of it is getting the uh, medical center in the West side open for um, marginalized and poor communities so that they can have free healthcare. Like they, they do discuss a lot of the true to life goals and aims of the black Panther party in Chicago. So yeah, that's kind of surprising. Um, J Edgar Hoover is absolutely fucking evil in real life and Martin Sheen did an excellent job capturing that um I really love how they portrayed the FBI as Mm -hmm. the largest domestic terrorist organization in the U.S. because I think it is one you guys don't have to ascribe to that comment that I made that's my own comment um I think what you said, Simon, about the untouchables with Robert De Niro having to be the bad guy to kind of balance out the power dynamic, even though he's not in that much of the film. I think that's also very true here that Martin Sheen as J. Edgar Hoover, he's only in a, a couple scenes. He only has probably two minutes of dialogue total. Um, but he is a powerhouse. And like you leave that film knowing that Martin Sheen was in that film and that he was absolutely evil in it so i think i think they did a really good job with with that casting as well um what else did i want to say oh i think you can definitely tell that it's a 2021 film yeah because they the how they portrayed the assassination of fred hampton was very accurate to how the fbi assassinated fred hampton but i think they spent extra time on that scene and really made it flawless and made it painful and you could feel the emotion in it. Yep. And I think that that is, is very much um, 
a reflection of the murder of Breonna Taylor. Yeah. Um, and really taking the time to show that scene. Um, that the assassination of Fred Hampton was also added into the trial of the Chicago Seven after Breonna Taylor's murder. In uh, when did that film come out? July 2020, I think. Yep. They added that scene to really kind of highlight that this history is something that we should all know about. Um, especially right now. And if you don't know about Fred Hampton or the Black Panther Party or what happened in Chicago in 1968, it's very important history to know right now in 2020 and 2021 um, in terms of going forward now. So yeah, I think this is an incredible film. I thought it was expertly done. Maybe my only critique of it, if it's even a critique, is that they they seem to have aged Fred Hampton up a bit because he was 21 when he was murdered by the FBI. Yeah. And that is a very important note that young people are revolutionaries. Every revolutionary, every revolution is, is fought and conceived of by young people. And maybe that could have made this film even stronger if, if um, Mm -hmm. Fred Hampton was, portrayed even younger than Daniel Kaluuya does, but Daniel Kaluuya's performance is, as you said, Toby, just transcendent. He is incredible in this role. Um, So that's a critique, give or take, because it's a critique on near perfection, so. Yeah, it's uh, two things from uh, what you said. I think um, J. Edgar Hoover could only have been made better if, if Tom Hanks had, had, had played him, if Tom Hanks had Ooh. finally decided, that, you know, like I'm Tom gonna Hanks play, I'm gonna play a villain, you know, I'm gonna actually have range and act like uh, <laughs> an actor. Totally uh, well, that's a really interesting comment. Now, sorry to interrupt, but because I've said many times to you guys and on the podcast before that I see Jay Edgar Hoover as the evil Forrest Gump in 20th century Ooh. American history <laughs> that he's just always fucking there in the background doing something evil and that would be a fascinating role for Tom Hanks to play Yeah, I'd love that yeah. sorry Toby on you go yeah, yeah. Abs- ab- ab- absolutely yeah 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 and um, I know yeah it's, you know the, yeah, the, the criticisms that it isn't uh, socialist film I, I, oh yeah really hard to stomach because I, as you say much of you know, uh, you know the, the text of this, of this movie actually refers to that mm-hmm. aspect of um, the the Black Panther Party um, ex- explicitly, and and you and you do you do get that you you do really get that uh, sense here. And then the other thing that uh, you said that was really important was the way Fred Hampton was killed in this movie. Um, they didn't make it mysterious, um, but yeah. that scene for me is an attack on America and American life. It shadows the, 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 the gauzy haze of, you know, that these institutions are good and um, they're filled by good men and they're, they're out to help, help you. And if you, if you feel dispossessed or angry, you have no reason to, because they're, they're either good eggs or it, it's, it's, it, that scene is, 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 is direct. It's, it's full of hatred and it and it, and it, and it's in in many ways it's it's a it's a shot in the dark and I think it's a, a fantastic scene, 
and yeah, um, yeah and and um, the the way you articulated that um, for me was is, is is very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's uh, it was a pleasure to to watch a film and and kind of immediately think, oh, that's like a modern classic, and um, yeah. definitely felt that uh, with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which obviously has only come out recently and it hasn't been you know eminently available to everyone um so if you do get a chance to uh, to view it then absolutely um i think we would would all thoroughly recommend it um the only thing i will add is that tom hanks did kind of play evil a little bit in cloud atlas i don't know if you ever saw that toby where they every actor involved played like seven characters but, uh, <laughs> but uh, he, at least one of those, I mean, at least one or two of the Tom Hanks characters in that film were kind of bad guys, um, even if they were like cartoony over the I top. mean, that, that underlines it as well. Oh. Like, uh, the, the Wachowski Brothers movie about people, you know, playing seven different characters. I mean, this is, is that is that all? Is that is that what he's going to give us? I mean, when's he, when's he going to break out his uh, evil J. Edgar Hoover? I'm just, I'm just saying. Once Vaughn writes it, I'm sure it'll be, uh, be the we can recommend mm. Hanks as the first name. Um, right? Shall we? Uh, shall we move on? I, 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 we uh, we'll kind of spoil it now. We aren't going to specifically mention the Trial of Chicago Seven as part of the six films, although we'll probably touch on it maybe a little bit at the end with regards to films we didn't um, speak about. Mm. Um, and you know this is a, a big thing which is you know kind of hanging over chicago in the, the 20th century is you know the 1968 and the, the brutal attack by the, the police on uh, those who were protesting and uh, that kind of thing so um shall we just shall we just deal with trial chicago 7 and kind of the, the rest of like the 68 fallout kind of at, at the end is that kind of the, the best best way to approach this we think yeah, I mean, we we discussed it. We've discussed it a couple times in pieces on other episodes. The the um, Democratic National Convention of 1968. Yeah. It, I, I think the the main thing to know about it is that it was an assault by the police on protesters that was coordinated um, to keep protesters from getting near the convention where the Democratic uh, committee put forward um, a pro-Vietnam candidate when that was clearly not what the people wanted, um, what registered Democrats wanted in any large way. And the protests were largely against Vietnam, but also within the, the rest of everything happening in 1968. So the thing to pull out of this would be that Chicago is um, in 1968, a main hub for this political activism. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a site of world history, you know, site yeah. of Western, Western history. The thing that happens to Fred Hampton here, the democratic convention, it isn't just a, a you know, something that's, that's wrong that Mayor Daly did to actually have, the police officers bashed these protesters. It yeah. was it was really a, a clash of great social forces in the world. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that happened in France in '68. It's a thing that happened all over the the, the all over America in '68. It's there was the you know you 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 didn't just have 
you had uh, Hunter S. Thompson, who was hit by the police. Um, you yeah. had um, writers, Ginsburg, all, all these people. They, they, it wasn't just, you know, were protesting Vietnam. Then they were protesting Vietnam very directly. You know, they wanted Eugene McCarthy. They wanted, and even Humphrey himself actually, you know, wanted the end of the world war, but he couldn't because of the, of the power of uh, Lyndon Johnson. And yeah. the Irish Catholic contingent in this city is very much brought up by the Democratic Party, but also have come to become, gain the status that they have in, in America. And then they're seeing these other, other communities who want to do that or who want America to, to be bigger and to, to, to have a broader uh, view of who is, who, is a, who is an American, who's the ideal American. And th- those two communities clash. They clash in many mm-hmm. different scenes and the Fred Hampton scene is, in this movie is one of them. And the Chicago um, convention is another. Yeah, so it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this 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 city is a, a very significant city in in terms of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's also important. Sorry, Paul. It was also important to note that, like, we said it myself, and we kind of talked about it a bit at the start that we sometimes tie Chicago in, you know, with like the big east cities and you know the little brother of New York and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But just geographically, it's actually closer to Birmingham, Alabama, than it is to New York. You know, it, so just as like a a physical location you know chicago is not boston you know it's, it's not philadelphia you know it is it is the midwest so do you want to shift the tone a little bit um although um it is uh <laughs> the next one we're going to talk about while very much a different tone to Jews in the bottom side um has sort of become an important part of chicago history in its own right although mm-hmm. for, for, for different reasons um so the next film is the blues brothers which is a, a 1980 uh, musical comedy directed by John Landis. It stars John Belushi as uh, Jake Blues and uh, Dan Aykroyd as his brother Elwood. Uh, these were characters that uh, came about from the, the Blues Brothers uh, sketches from Saturday Night Live. And the film has become uh, both a comedy classic and a Chicago classic, as I was saying. And I think you can do like Blues Brothers tours in Chicago and that, that kind of stuff. So I think it has been very much embraced. Um, Vaughn, this is a, a favorite of yours and you can maybe just maybe mm. introduce it a little bit more. Um, so on you go. Yes. I love the blues brothers. This is one of my favorite films. I've seen it a billion times and I rewatched it anyway for this. Um, it's just so good. So yeah, it's starring um, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd as Jake and Elwood blues. They are the blues brothers. Um and they are thieves and kind of petty criminals a bit. And they were raised in an orphanage together. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, Jake gets out of prison for trying to hold up a gas station. And they go back to the orphanage to see the nun who raised them. And she informs them that the Board of Education wants to buy the orphanage and that the church is not going to stop them. So there's this... Um, tax claim of $5,000 that if they don't pay it, then the Board of Education gets the building. Um, And Jake and Elwood are upset by this and decide that they're going to find the money to help. And the nun is like, I'm not taking any of your blood money. It has to be honest, uh, honestly gotten money, right? Mm -hmm. So they go to see James Brown 
um, give a sermon at the Triple Rock Baptist Church, and they find God through this this experience and decide that they are on a mission from God to get the money um, to save the orphanage. And to do this, they're going to put the band back together. So they go on this kind of like journey to to gather band members that is not unlike Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> and they they collect all of the band members and all of their kind of individual lives and stuff. And there are many great musical numbers, including Aretha Franklin um, singing Think in just, oh, gorgeous. Um, and they, they go and collect uh, instruments from Ray Charles and he sings Shake Your Tail Feather, amazing. Um, and on the way to like getting the band to get back together, getting instruments, finding a gig to do, they start making all of these enemies, um, being the <laughs> Illinois Nazi party and this band that they pretended to be at, the, yep. <laughs> at Bob's Country Bunker. Um, and the the hostess there is like, we have both kinds of music, country and Western, and it's the best line in cinema. I love it. Um, so they're pissing off all of these people. And then there's this mystery woman played by Carrie Fisher. Yes. Fantastic addition, who just keeps trying to murder them <laughs> with like a rocket launcher and a flamethrower and... Um, yeah. Yeah, she blows up a building like incredible and it's not explained until much later in the film so you just have Carrie Fisher showing up trying to kill these people mm-hmm. um, so they've made all of these enemies they finally get a gig at the the plaza hotel ballroom and um hundreds of police officers from the state of Illinois come and Carrie Fisher's there and the Nazis and well the Nazis come later and then um the the band are there and everybody's trying to kill them and they just keep having this like insane luck and not even noticing or acknowledging that they almost died 10 seconds ago yeah um they finally get the money when again in insane luck this this record producer offers to record them and hands them just hands them over ten thousand dollars um without signing anything, which is great. They get away and then go through this massive car chase in Chicago, trying to get the money to the the county clerk's office to save the orphanage. And they, in this film, they wreck 104 cars, um, most of them being police cars in the city of Chicago. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. As they're in uh, Richard J. Daly Plaza trying to get to the clerk's office, they're just like casually <laughs> in an elevator and the military shows up and they're like, um, like a thousand police and the Nazis are there. Like everybody's just there trying to capture them and they save the orphanage and then go back to jail. Yeah. End of the film. It's fucking great. I love this film so much. It's fun. The music's amazing. It's so funny. It's just, oh, it's so good. It really captures that um, 60s, 70s R&B lifestyle and like uh, character, I mean, of Chicago. Yeah. So and as you, as you said, it's quite anti-authoritarian as well. As the... So anti-authoritarian. They fucking hate Nazis. They drive into them on a bridge and all the Nazis <laughs> jump in the, the water. Amazing. It's just so good on so many levels. 
Cab Calloway is in it. There are so many incredible um, singers in it. John Lee Hooker yeah. sings in it. Cab Calloway's Minnie the Moocher is something mm-hmm. that just like stays in the back of my mind constantly from this film. <laughs> it's just, oh, so yes. good. And it's a really good travel log of the city as well because you you do actually get you know you know the south side and you get into the the actual uh, main city center itself and you, you do mm-hmm. get a kind of a full picture of kind of the surrounding area and the city and um, you also kind of get off the period itself you know it's it's a lot of the, the places they are uh, especially in the, the first sort of half of the film is very run down and you know they are kind of just sort of squeaking by with you know. Uh, little money they have um, Toby um, I take it you've seen the film uh, any thoughts? No yeah I think it's it's a really funny funny movie I think um, yeah it's, it's, it's rare with comedies where the, um, you could you could tell that they, they're trying really hard in a lot of these scenes to make them as as big and as explosive as they mm-hmm. as they can mm-hmm. do obviously they they stretch uh, space and time yes. but there's a scene where the, the the car is i think um running through a mall and the the expectation i think <laughs> there's this movie the, the the you you expect something from the scenes and then the the directors and writers write something different so the the the, the car goes through and and you expect and then there's a lot of people there and you expect them just to run straight through but then they start smashing through the mall and it's mm-hmm. like what like i didn't i didn't know that they were going to do that and then you you actually have a, a scene where the police car, car is turned upside down and the and the and while they're going in the the police have been turned upside down it's it's the same with the um with the early scene with the nun like they're talking yeah. back yeah. to the nun because they hate the nun and and you know like um I think one of them calls her a penguin or something mm-hmm. and then she like she starts hitting them and 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 taking out weapons to to hurt them with and then it's the same thing with the the lady who's chasing them you know um you think well she's mysterious why is she looking at at, at them and then she 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 has a scope and you wonder oh maybe she's like scoping them out but it's a rocket launcher and then she shoots it at them and and yeah so uh, again and again your expectations are completely flipped and the scale of the things um change um just immediately and and and, and in many ways is really really great writing the same with the uh, early scene in the church like oh this is a little church yeah. but it's fucking james brown right james yeah. brown and he and it's a james brown church so there's a lot of dancing they dance uh, one of them gets turned into a ghost you know it's a yeah it's, it's a really amazing movie it's really well written um and yeah like uh, simon says you know you're going through uh, hotels and town centers and uh, correctional facilities all these things <laughs> that are actually in chicago so it's mm-hmm. in the sense of chicago and you get uh, characters and genres from chicago um and yeah so it's it's a really great great movie it's a movie i think that makes chicago into a genre within itself and yeah. and plays with that and has a lot of fun with it yeah so i i really enjoyed this movie one thing i did notice when i was doing a bit of research for this was that everyone seems to have affection for the film and you know it's very easy mm-hmm. why because it's just pure enjoyment on a screen doesn't really get 
kind of more enjoyable than uh, the Blues Brothers. But there, there was kind of one uh, criticism I did see, or at least kind of one comment about viewing it through today's lens, which is essentially the, the two main characters are white characters and they kind of travel log using black music essentially and mm-hmm. using people to who have this you know great history and great skill and great um passion for this music and they essentially sort of move between these great artists and have them i think the criticism was that they were kind of maybe moved to the background a bit more as the the, the white characters were kind of using this black music and how if the film came out today they would maybe have to adjust that rather than having the the film being set as two white characters sort of playing black music and having um black um musicians come in for a scene here and a scene there and i was just wondering if you guys had any thoughts on on that particular criticism or that viewpoint um well i i would say that you know i mean chicago's known for its music it's Mm -hmm. it's varied music and I mean, I'm not sure if the movie was made today that that they would have changed the main character's um, ethnicity. I'm I'm not particularly sure about that. Um, I, I I do think that um, where African American characters like James Brown are used in this movie, they're used to 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 great effect. Mm-hmm. And 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 to be honest, like I you know I think it's America. I think that the music is a uh, is American music and. Um, it's 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 music that entertains and um and I, I think they're they're part of as much part of it as as probably anyone else uh, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. That's I I see why that is a criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if I absolutely agree with it because every performer that is in the film who does their own song that aren't the Blues Brothers um is a person of color mm-hmm. so it's it's like james brown john lee hooker ray charles aretha franklin cab calloway they all have their own highlighted songs in the film so i think it like i definitely get why the criticism is that um jake and elwood may be appropriating that music but i think that's one of the strengths of chicago is that the demographics are so diverse in that city and the culture and music and art and literature um definitely grew with those demographics mm-hmm. if that makes sense so as as you said toby i think it's um american music that like Chicago's music scene really transcends, if that makes sense. Like it's an amalgamation of a lot of diversity and culture and rhythm rhythm and blues grew out of all of those districts, not just one racial community. So I, I don't know if it, if they would have to change the ethnicity, but I think that would be interesting and welcome anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, as a recreation of the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Okay. Um, shall we move on to our next film then? Which is. Um, a... Oh, sorry. I... Did you have anything else to add, Von? I, I have one other thing on the Blues sure, Brothers. Go for it. As I was watching it, I realized that this is the third episode of our four episode Cities on Film mm-hmm. where we've had a Dan Aykroyd film. All right. Because we had Cause Ghostbusters. We Ghostbusters and Trading Places. Trading places, of course. 
Wow. So he was getting a lot of work in the 80s. He was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think that's really interesting that Dan Aykroyd is part of these very iconic American yeah. city films and he's from Canada. Well, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Damn, damn Canadians coming down here. Yeah. Stealing our jobs. <laughs> Stealing our jobs. <laughs> that's a good point. We'll have to look out to see if that Aykroyd appears in the other cities. No, it's another yeah, terrible appropriation, I think. <laughs> this, I try to defend it on the African American, but I can't defend the Canadian. No. <laughs> if, if they're making that today, they couldn't have Canadians coming down here. Um, right, okay. <laughs> Shall we move on to the the next film, which is another 1980s uh, comedy, although um, uh, kind of different in its uh, depiction of Chicago. So this is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, 1986 uh, teen comedy. Uh, written, co-produced, and directed by John Hughes, and starring Matthew Broderick as Ferris Bueller, a uh, high school slacker who skips school for a day uh, in Chicago with his best friend and his girlfriend. Uh, this is a very 1980s comedy. It feels very 1980s comedy. It's still very enjoyable. Um, it's still um, a, a great travelogue of the city, but it is a, a pure fantasy, I think, of, of the city. And Toby, you, you mentioned earlier about stretching time and space for the Blues Brothers. They mm-hmm. very much do that for Ferris Bueller, where they manage to fit in many, many different things in the, the span of a few hours, uh, including just getting to and from Chicago um, and getting through tr- uh, parade traffic, which I think that alone probably would have taken up the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it It... I'll ask for your thoughts in a second, but it, I'll I'll just kind of add the comment that it, watching it back now, it kind of feels like a a very Reagan era comedy, very Reagan era film where mm-hmm. the the you have these white, um, you know, sort of sons and daughters of capitalists who are living outside the city, who these great beautiful houses, and they're they don't have the crisis of like I I want to go to college to better myself so I can you know kind of provide provide my family and myself it's more existential than that it's more um life's probably going to be okay kind of regardless of what i do so i'm i'm kind of just trying to do what feels good and figure out myself and i I think that that feels very very fitting off of the year it was set in um vaughn do you have any 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 thoughts to kick us off on on ferris peel's day off um not really actually i think you just kind of summed up my thoughts on it um this is another film that i've seen a lot of times and as you said it's a john hughes film most of john hughes films are based in chicago um i think it's interesting like i i think it's right to have chosen this one um because it is about your travels around chicago and like going to wrigley field and doing all these iconic things going to the art museum and staring at art like I, I was just thinking, though, after you said that it's a very Reagan-era comedy, that's that's a really interesting point that I didn't really think about. But it really does juxtapose to the Blues Brothers, for example, yeah. because in the Blues Brothers, they're, they're in a lot of um, the, the areas that weren't gentrified, as I mentioned in, in the... Um, the history section that the downtown area and the lakefront were very gentrified in the um, like 70s, 80s, 90s period. And that's where all of 
Ferris Bueller takes place. Like they go to that fancy restaurant, the um, Chez Cui, yeah. which is almost the exact same set as Chez Paul in um, the Blues Brothers. Mm. But there are different restaurants. And in Ferris, they, they almost kind of recreate that, like we're trying to be fancy um, and failing, <laughs> obviously, because they're teenagers that they they kind of do in the blues brothers of this like they the blues brothers went to shay paul to cause a scene yep and just the comedy in each of those situations is it's very juxtaposed as as ferris bueller is having this kind of aspirational tone of like we will be the rich people eating in shay Mm -hmm. but they're still failing they have, they do have very different tones, those two films. They really do. It's a really interesting comment. I don't think I have much more to add though. It's just it's a fun film. It's a good one. It's a fun travel log. Uh Toby, yeah. any thoughts and any particular interest in becoming a Reagan uh, Reagan era t- teenager? Oh, absolutely. I think Ferris Bueller Ugh. is um he's he's really a beautiful person. I mean, loved <laughs> by the nerds. He's loved by the jocks, the the scallywags. He's loved by everybody, and he's he's omnipresent. He's a righteous good. Uh, he's righteous good. Everyone knows about him. Um, yeah, I think I think this is a. Re- I really enjoy this movie. I've mm. always I've always really loved this movie. Um, for me, it was it, it's like uh, Home Alone, mm. but if the main character was cuter, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I, I, but also like in terms of the politics, I think John Hughes has been criticized by many people as a kind of uh, Republican. Uh, he's seen, he's, I think he's seen that way by, by some people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this movie is, is a sort of like, it's just the, like you said, the, the sons of capitalists, it's a, it's a, it's a high bourgeois movie really. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the parents are, uh, lawyers, capitalists, and you know, maybe they're public relations people or the things of that nature, doctors, and they are, and and like you say, you know, like the decisions that they make isn't really going to affect their social status, their social standing. the 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 world is is good. Um, F- Ferris he skips school, but you know, like Ferris is going to be okay. Ferris yeah. probably end, ended up as a venture capitalist or something when he, <laughs> when he found himself in a, you know, in um, India, um, you know, doing acid and trying to explore the Maharishi and, and things like that. And he came back and then he went to Silicon Valley and, and you know, like he, he really made it. So <laughs> it all it all worked out. For, it all worked out for Ferris. And um, and yeah, it's a really it's a really cool movie. The 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 scenes in the art gallery they're not only like this is like it seems like just a com- comedy but the scenes in, in the art gallery are very contemplative yeah they're, they're they're you know they're um the 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 way the the three of them stand there you know and that it, the composition of that scene um looks really nice um and and then there's, there's a sense of of teenagers with with teenage angst especially ferris's bueller's friend um, you know, he's someone who's a little bit he's he's put under a significant amount of psychological pressure by his father. 
he's he's in a time where things are changing for him. He doesn't necessarily know what to do about his future. And Ferris opens up these these pressures that that are subterranean for him. You know, he's experiencing them in part through illness. Uh, but Ferris takes him along. He, he brings him on a road trip. Um, he allows him to do funny voices, to to go into restaurants that he'll be able to go into in 10 years when he's a fucking lawyer. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's not like um, where, you know, like they pretend to be people they aren't. Um, yep people they'd be working for in 10 years and you know they yeah, they get into the restaurant it's fun uh ferris is fun ferris knows everything everyone loves ferris ferris is cool ferris is cool like i, I think ferris is cool the the scene in the city where they're uh, singing yeah um you know ferris can do anything like he, he can he can go from just standing in a parade to being the center of the parade yeah there's a there's actually a scene where where the, the the Ferris goes off out of the composition of the, the the frame, and you hear Ferris's voice from the mic outside of the frame, and it is like Ferris is almost like a god figure, mm-hmm. right? like mm-hmm. he just he will just go anywhere, and he and his and, and his sounds are almost external from the movie, and and sometimes he will actually go into the camera and talk, you know, because it it, it has a, yep. a meta. Uh, meta quality to it and uh, but as you say simon it is a, a fantasy of of the reagan era you know the the poverty is 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 not even in the margins the the difficulty of the period is not in the margins politics is referred to uh one point the teacher yeah the the, the actor's name escapes me but he is actually a, a, a famous republican the the teacher talks about the 1930s and the and the, 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 the tariffs in the 1930s. And then he brings up our time and he brings up the Lafayette curve, which is actually like it's it's not an uninteresting thing because the Lafayette curve was the curve, I think, that was um, linking inflation to unemployment at the time. And many people who were pushing forward the Lafayette curve in, in economics, you know, were, were doing it for the purposes of um, supporting Reagan era policies. So, yeah, I mean, that that. The Reagan era, um, in terms of its color and its vibrancy, for its winners like Ferris Bueller, is, is it, Bueller is very much there. And on the on the margins of the movie, there is the politics, and the yeah, the sort of wonderful world that uh, um, that Hughes really creates in in this movie. It's uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great movie. Um, I'm a big fan of this movie, as as uh, Simon says. It's you know, it's, people don't really have problems. It's more existential for people to explore, therapeutic in many ways to explore mm-hmm. their the, the the feelings that they have about their lives and to overcome them through. You know, someone like Ferris, who is without these kinds of prejudices and difficulties, who he's just he's a man who lives um, as he should live. He's he's even a philosophy. You know, Ferris's sister mm-hmm. is, ta- is talking to um, uh, was it the, the son of Martin Sheen, yep. um, Charlie. Charlie Sheen. And, um, you know, and Ferris's uh, sister is complaining about him. And he's like, why are you thinking about Ferris? You should be uh, uh, about your brother. You should be thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. Someone I, I, you know, you should probably talk to. And, and she says, if you mention Ferris Bueller, I will hurt you. <laughs> and again, it's like Ferris Bueller. He's omnipresent. He's always there. 
he's he's he is his own philosophy as um um Barbara Bush said you know it was like um people should take time and and should go on their own day days off as, as Ferris Bueller has taught us and yes um yeah Ferris Bueller is a great movie it's a great movie for for the winners of that period in that era and yeah I, I quite enjoyed uh, re-watching this movie yeah and I think it, it's interesting as we were talking about the Blues Brothers being um you know truly sort of anti-establishment and anti- anti-authoritarian um if you Ferris Bueller is like the Republican version of that where um you know rather than running away from the police uh, which we see in the Blues Brothers it's sort of running away from the school principal who's been a bit of a dick and um you know there are no consequences for Fer- ferris you know off his actions whereas in blues brothers you know it's the, the although it's a complete fantasy uh as well you know there is the possibility that these people will go back to jail whereas we never have any doubts that ferris bueller not only will escape this film but as you say toby he'll he'll escape um uh, kind of any troubles in the future and he will go on and become a lawyer or uh uh, whatever else and uh, venture capitalist and, and make his money so yeah it, it's it's a really interesting companion piece to the blues brothers mm-hmm. um we should probably move on to our next film now which is hoop dreams which is a 1994 documentary directed by steve james it follows the story of two african-american high school students william gates and arthur ag in chicago and their dreams of becoming professional basketball players um roger ebert Uh, picked this as his best film of the 1990s and its failure to be nominated for best documentary at the academy awards resulted in uh, rules change at the academy in this uh, in this category um i was aware of this film i have an interest in basketball and american history so that was one of those films where it sort of been on my uh to watch list for a while i finally got around to watching it um and i absolutely loved it uh truly one of the not only one of the best documentaries I've ever watched, maybe one of the best films I've ever watched, to be perfectly honest. It was absolutely fantastic. So engaging. It's a film as much about the school system and the social economic reality of being poor in America as it is about basketball. Um, we see the, the ups and downs of, of these people's lives. We get to know the characters. We get to know the brothers and the, the mothers and the, the, the um, sisters and the fathers. And we get a, a a painting a portrait of america where extreme poverty is potentially just uh a, you know a spin of a basketball away from becoming you know um uh, the true american dream of of making it into making it into the nba and the, there are conversations throughout the film where the you know the characters are talking about you know how, how you know they, they have belief that they can make it and that you know, when when they get to um, the NBA, they can sort of spend their money on X, Y, or Z. And it's uh, it continues to be not only just a, a great film as a you know as as a narrative story, and you really do get to know these characters, and you do really you know invest your interest in it. But as a historical document of twentieth century America and of African uh, American life in a city like Chicago it's it's kind of unparalleled um i think um toby i saw a tweet by you just before we we, we came on air where you were saying uh, perhaps the two best american documentaries are are this and paris is burning both of which uh depict african-american life i know you're a big fan of this this 
film too. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is a very removed from Ferris Bueller because you have a school where and there's young people where the decisions that they make have great mm. consequences. You know, there's real consequences in this movie. Um, you know, the the there is um, I don't know. It's it's like you you take someone from from young. They they are they are both of them Arthur and William. They're extraordinarily talented young people. You know they're they're in the you know in the the naught point one percent of basketball talents, but they need to be in the naught point naught one percent. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 extreme um, American life for them to transcend their their poor background um backgrounds in chicago you know with the 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 the, the parents uh, um are either underemployed or the people who are on welfare they, they you know they have difficult they have difficult lives so sometimes arthur even recalls stories about him being mugged you know this is yeah. a difficult situation and they have this talent you know, which in you know, if they had the talent in any other area, they would they could you know make um, lives for themselves that were comfortable. But it's in this thing that is so difficult to establish oneself in. You know, it's 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 it's, it's basketball. It's you know, very few people. I think maybe it's like I think it was around seven hundred, if I'm wrong, Simon. You know, every year. The, yeah, of of just the pool of people who possibly could be in the NBA, you know, of yeah, new talent emerging from. So so you know the 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 colleges, they they are very very selective from the high schools, which are already super selective. You know, special uh, high school selective high schools. Um. That uh, actually, one of the the children is able to go to this mostly white high school mm-hmm. uh, that has a very very selective basketball program. Isaiah Thomas went yep. to that school, and they're seeing him as a potential, you know, future Isaiah Thomas. And the other guy, you know, he's he's good, he's great in 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 the in locally in the in his own small circumstances in, in in fact in many ways he's probably slightly behind the other guy mm-hmm. but he doesn't make the cut and you you see him in his own high school in a fledgling team as star of the team but without the same potential and you can and one thing that's set up in life and then it, it, it happens all the time in life you know when you have someone who's a bit bit better and they get more of the opportunities. Like Williams is getting the scholarships. He's, other people are paying for his school. Um, his life isn't easy, but there are things that are provided for him that Arthur doesn't have because he's a little bit better. And it's just a little bit better. And, and so there's things that are provided for him. And then Arthur, Arthur really has to struggle. His mm-hmm. father goes to prison for burglary. His father's into, into drugs and and there's this it's it's like it's like the Amer- america is presented as as a uh, you know the the as people say in the movie is is a stand of uh, hope and opportunity for 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 people but you know i mean for some people they're just like crabs in the barrel 
Mm. And a couple of them are going to rise that, that, you know, in this, in this almost kind of, um, in this gladiatorial avenue of basketball and a couple of them are going to emerge and, you know, have fruitful lives or be, be successful. But for, for the rest of them, even for people who were very talented, like William's brother, you know, many people thought he was going to be a star. Yeah. He, he was going to rise. And, and he, was, he, he talks about the first 20 years of his life as if those were the, the peak of his life. He, he's very, he has this sort of wanderlust and mm-hmm. in some, some ways depression because he's a security guard now. And he thinks back to the old times where, you know, he was the one and he, and he, and he, in fact, his life is wrapped up in his brother's life. He's living vicariously through him. So the, the possibility of the, you know, it might be him. And when his brother even gets an injury, um, Curtis is still is angry at his brother because he thinks that, you know, if his brother um, is playing, that means that that's, uh, he thought he could play. So there's this, yeah, this, there's a sort of intolerance that emerges in, in Curtis. But there's so many different stories, so many stories of struggle, of hope, of, um, of victory, of defeat. It's it's not just a documentary. It's 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 like something Balzac would have would have done. Mm. It's it's panoramic. It's 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 about the whole city. It's about America. It's about the promise of America for some people. Why it's not like the promise of America for other people. The consequences of these um, difficult and, and desperate desperate lives. And um, yeah, and, and I and I think it, you know it's one of I think it's one of the great documentaries because. I think it represents a critique of of American life that is actionable and should be acted on. Like people shouldn't have to people shouldn't have to live like this. They shouldn't have to go through the kinds of struggles that the people in this in this in this film go through. They shouldn't have to go through a, sort of this gladiatorial avenue just to emerge as someone with with you know with something to show for it. College and admission into college shouldn't be attached to you know. Um, success in this very difficult gladiatorial avenue um it, it, you know it's great that both of these guys you know the, the hoop dreams is very successful and um you know both of these guys get a get a chance at, at some form of an education and and both have become you know seminent prominent figures in their community which is great but there's there's thousands of of people like them who possibly had the talent, um, maybe had injuries or maybe just weren't good enough. They were in a 0.1% instead of being in a 0.01%. And, you know, they, they end up either, you know, possibly even dead or in jail or, or people who were depressed to who think about their past and, and, you know, what, what could have been. And yeah, I think it, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie about for me, the promise of, of American life, and um, the extent to which you know it it is it is real at the uh, I think it's a, it's a it's a movie about the American dream. For me, it's it's like um, it's like Death of the Salesman. You know, it's, mm. it's it's that poetic and it's that that important. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah, absolutely, I agree with everything you just said there. Um, especially like this this idea of the sort of representation of of sort of an actionable America. Where, you know, we. <laughs> we have this um, portrait of America on screen and it, it should be sickening for any politician or anyone in power to, to look at it and 
think that's how society is and that's what's acceptable and you know we were just talking a few minutes ago about the the, the sort of sheer fantasy of something like ferris bueller where you know there are kind of no consequences for even just skipping out of school or you know <laughs> doing things that are illegal etc and then you have people in a, in a real documentary like this who are living their lives and are trying to do everything they can to provide for themselves and their family and they're still getting you know they're getting their power cut off because they, they they don't have enough welfare to support to support paying the electricity and you are just sickened by what has been the life that has been sort of left behind for the these people and the, these communities and as you say toby this idea that well it, it's okay because for you know a very very you know select few people they will be able to rise out of this through a sporting achievement um it's it's just a, a crazy system as you say for education and sports to be tied together in both the this idea that they they can only get the education if they're good at sports and then also the the, the sort of reverse of that that um even if they are good at sports they need to reach a certain academic level in order for that to be um sort of tied up and for them to actually continue in a school or move on to university and because of the way that professional sports are so collegiate in america unlike the rest of the world they they need to you know get to a school and then get to a college and then you know become um become professionals from there whereas if you know it's a very different capitalist system and you know something like football or soccer as it's sometimes called over in europe you know where someone will be seen at seven years old and they'll be signed by an Arsenal or a Man United at that time and they'll be taken through a youth system and there'll be no regards for whether or not, you know, academic scholarships and that kind of thing. And once they turn, you know, 16 or 17, they may actually start earning a professional wage. Whereas, you know, the, the, one of the big debates in, in American sports is this idea that American colleges grow fat off, off the earnings of, um, of the student teams and the students don't actually, not only do they not receive any uh, financial payments, they are actually barred from receiving payments from like Nike and Adidas and sponsorship and that kind of thing. And it, it, again, it just reinforces the, this idea that these are, as you say, Toby, the, the, these are gladiators who are put in an arena for amusement kind of thing. And if they're very, very lucky, then they can get into the NBA. But there are 30 teams in the NBA um, as I speak now, there, there are uh, two draft rounds, so 60 uh, positions to be drafted in a, in a draft. You've now got more and more overseas players uh, coming into the draft as well. And there are some positions uh, sort of potentially available for players to sort of uh, get selected undrafted by, um, by NBA teams. But it's harder and harder for uh, poor Americans because of the globalization of, of, of sport basketball to, you know, elevate themselves into and in, into the sport and then you know unless you are an Isaiah Thomas or Michael Jordan you know you you do risk being left behind by a, a society and by a an economic system which simply doesn't care about these communities and I think this film does a, a wonderful job of highlighting that um oh no yes uh yeah it's it's it's, it's really a, a post-industrial world with that's hollowed out where mm-hmm. you know you'll be kicked off of social support when you reach a certain age because you know 
or you know you you don't have a your father figure to provide um for you for you mm-hmm. or you know you 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 your mum finally is able to get a nursing qualification yeah. and that can help you out you know in a in the the second or third act of your of your of your life so so that, yeah there's there's so many there's so many real consequences for, for these people there's so much real life that they go through births you know imprisonments and then there's this there's this system and i think one of the scouts says it you know he says that people you know some people in my community have said really bad things about me because i you know i take these kids out of the the community and the 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 result isn't always good and people mm. have, have said this uh, about me and i'm not even sure where, where i stand in this you know because there because so, so much of this feeds into the to the romance of america right this sort of this magical voluntourism that anyone can make themselves into whoever or whatever they want and and the scouts are like they're they're in some ways they are into this romance as well you know is to find someone something you know really it's a thing you know it's not a not a person that you're trying to find you're trying to find this this statistical thing this number Mm -hmm. that will get gain you something and 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 there's a there's almost like a I don't know. It, it, in some ways, it's almost like selling people. There's, a, you know, and yeah. trying to find the special one out of. But 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 the truth is, everyone's special. Everyone everyone matters. Everyone everyone's life matters. No one should, no one should have to live like that because they you know just because they're not they don't have this 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 mechanical thing that makes them into this amazing basketball player in the north point yeah. like north um one percent you know and yeah yeah i think it's a great it's a great documentary um it's a great statement about the limits of that way of thinking in america mm-hmm. and um and in, in many ways just like you said you know about the the college system and not, not being able to get sponsorships and you know and and the, the kind of framing and the 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 idealistic idea of who emerges you know you have to, you have to you also have to be this good at academics um you have to look a certain way or you have to you have to have this certain personality types the 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 coach mm-hmm. um who get takes in william but doesn't take in arthur looks at arthur and and, and sees personality failings in arthur you know that that he doesn't see in, in in William and for William, although William loves it and he loves it for years, he starts to see that the coach cares much more about this basketball thing. That it's his whole life, mm-hmm. but it isn't William's whole life. William has a has a kid now. There's there's things that happen in in, in his life, and William is just used as a tool for for this man's this man's ambitions. Yeah, there's this man who's 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 a who's a prominent figure in a, in a in a mostly white school taking um black people who probably might not even be in their catchment area and then forming this 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 form of entertainment for himself so that he can vicariously feel important about himself as well you know and and people's lives don't matter yeah absolutely um yeah so just uh, an absolute brilliant film and if you do uh, get a chance to to watch your dreams uh, we thoroughly recommend it um shall we move on to the last film for today which is the big sick which is a 2017 romantic comedy 
directed by uh, Michael Shewater and written by Emily V. Gordon and uh, Kamel Nanjiani. Um, the film is uh, loosely based on uh, the real life uh, romance uh, between uh, Emily and uh, Kamel. And um, it yeah, kind of follows their uh, inter-ethnic um, sort of relationship and the, the cultural differences that they have to deal with and the different pressures and also his rise uh, or attempted rise uh, through the, the Chicago com- Chicago comedy scene. Um, is I'm glad we, we picked this film, uh, partly because it's important to tell sort of different stories and having a, a, a different sort of ethnic background um, than maybe we've covered before in the, the films, I think is good. Um, America is, is so much about, um, you know, the people coming from other lands and, uh, and bringing new perspective and new lives to, 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 to the country that I think it's great to have another immigrant story here. And it's also nice to see, see a more modern depiction of the city, which while this is not, you know, it's not a travel log city by any means. Um, I think you do get a little bit of perspective of uh, maybe a little bit more kind of uh, modern Chicago. Um, Vaughn, um, we're both big fans of this film. Um, do you want to give your, your initial thoughts on, on the film? Yeah, sure. Um, I, yeah, I really love this film a lot. Um, I've seen it several times now since it's come out. And yeah, it, it follows their love story of, of how they met and how they didn't really intend to fall in love with each other. And neither of their lives were really set up for that. Um, Kamal Nanjiani is from Pakistan and uh, the main kind of um, hindrance for him in his relationship with Emily is his family's cultural tradition of arranged marriage. And his parents are repeatedly trying to set him up with um, Pakistani women in Chicago trying to kind of force their traditional lifestyle on him. And it's a brilliant look at a a first generation um, immigrant story, I think, where he, he asks them directly at one point, if you wanted me to live a traditional Pakistani life, why did you bring me to America? And uh, yeah, I I think it's a really great perspective to add. into these discussions that that we have because that's that's a very big part of American character is the immigrant story um, and to have one so modern in mainstream mo- uh, media I think is is really wonderful one one that's set in the 21st century not a, a look back at like Brooklyn for example um, so yeah and as they're falling in love, they she finds out that he has never really planned for this to go any further, um, and they break up, and then she ends up in the hospital, and he has to sign papers to allow her to go into a medically induced coma. Um, at that point, he he meets her parents, and they're very standoffish. They they don't like him because they know that they had just broken up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that he had been. Sorry, that he had been lying to her um, about his his plans for the future. And you get some very tense scenes between um, 
Kumail Nanjiani and Emily's parents who are played by Ray Romano and um, Helen Hunter. Is that right? Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah. Um, there, there. It's it's very tense and very uncomfortable at points, but also extremely funny, <laughs> um, in an uncomfortably funny kind of way. There are jokes about nine eleven because Ray Romano says that he wants to have a conversation with someone about nine eleven. <laughs> Kamal Nanjiani's like, "You've never talked about nine eleven with anyone," and he's like, "You know what I mean." And it's <laughs> it's tense, but I think they they do it very well, and they really portray that. Um, that that coming together of different ethnicities and the the conversations that are had, um, I'm I'm putting that very delicately, <laughs> but I yeah I think it's a really interesting look at at this kind of melding of cultures in modern America. It's also just a brilliant love story and extremely funny. Yeah, um, I really really love this film. I think it's fantastic in terms of showing Chicago. I think definitely the, the cultural aspects of everything, of people coming together and all of that, that's really well done. Um, there are discussions around whether the hospital she's in is good enough because it's ranked 17 in Chicago and Chicago, even though it is a fairly, fairly small city, um, they have many, I think there are like 26 main hospitals in Chicago. And the, the, there's this, back and forth conversation about moving her to Northwestern because that's the best hospital. So I think, I think that's an interesting point about just the city itself. Um, and yeah, we don't, as you say, it's not really a travel on film. You don't really get that much exterior of Chicago, but I think there's a, a pretty iconic kind of cultural um, point in the film of, about demographics and also the comedy scene that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, Chicago is known for Second City Comedy Club. So many famous comedians have gone through the Chicago circuit and then ended up on SNL. So this one really ties together with the Blues Brothers, as, yeah. as you pointed out earlier, Simon. Um, and towards the end of the film, they're, they're kind of debating whether they should move to New York or not. And um, Bo Burnham, A.D. Bryant, and Kumail Nanjiani actually move out to New York towards the very end. So you get a, a real sense of the, the kind of connections and, and importance of the city um, that we've been talking about all throughout this. And yeah, it's, it's just a really great film. I'd recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you on that one, Vaughn. Um, I know you don't like it when I agree with you on anything, but I, I know. How dare you? <laughs> get, get your own opinion, Simon. Um, <laughs> but yes, I agree. It's a film I, I keep coming back to. Um, it's, uh, really enjoyable but also it actually has some meat on the bones as well um mm -hmm. i would say as well it's um interesting from the perspective of kind of at the start of the film they're talking about wanting to leave chicago the comedians are wanting to leave chicago and potentially go to la and you know become famous that way and then by the end of the film they're they're wanting to move to new york um to sort of move forward with their careers and I, I think that's an interesting look at the kind of very specific comedy setup of Chicago where as you say Vaughn there are many people who have come through it but when it comes time to becoming sort of famous outside of like on a national scale 
it, you are more likely to you know you go to LA or you go to New York and it's at that mm-hmm. point where you you increase your fame and you become a, a national figure um so again that, that the, something interesting that the film touches on there um okay well I don't really have anything else to add other than yeah I recommend the big sick and it, it's nice to see a a modern depiction of Chicago even if you don't get you know it's not walking through the the city center kind of um, that we see with the untouchables although i think they should absolutely have a scene where the big sick is remade um with sort of sean connery's uh, gun toting <laughs> character added in in the background i think that'd be uh, very much enjoyable right yeah, um, i'm sure i could use dinero beating someone <laughs> <it's laughs> uh, uh, Shout, shouting at the doctors to do their job better yeah yes um, right. Okay. So that's the six films we've talked about. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the six films that we um, we chose for this uh, this episode. I thought it was a really nice spread of different films, different genres, and um, yeah, re- really enjoyable and uh, showed different aspects of, of Chicago and indeed of American life. Um, I did watch a couple of other films, uh, just kind of had some time. So I did watch The Fugitive and I watched Primal Fear. And both really enjoyable Chicago films as well. Is there anything else either on the films we've talked about or any other films or just Chicago and film in general that you guys would like to, to mention before we finish up? Well, I would say that um, me and Vaughn talked about the trial of the Chicago 7, which is a really important uh, sort of contempt- companion piece to Judas and Black Messiah on the Struggle Session podcast. So if, if anyone wants to catch me and Vaughn, also talking about um, 1960s Chicago, they should go and check our episode out on the Shuggle yep. Session podcast. Absolutely. And in terms of Chicago films, what, one thing I'm super surprised about is that some of the films we talked about are so central, not just Chicago, but to the to all of American life in mm-hmm. a way, you know. And, and I think um, um, if, if the films were certainly about Chicago, I mean, Stony Friend Hampton certainly about uh, Chicago, The Untouchables is certainly about uh, Chicago. Hoop Dreams is certainly about Chicago, but they there's stories also about America, you know, and 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 there's been these kinds of large, broad terms, and the, and um, a couple of them are grand statements about America and and fairness and and truth in America, which is which is really great. And then the other films are just you know, uh, Blues Brothers is a great film. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a joyous film. Ferris Bueller is a great film. It's a joyous, it's a joyous film. And uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, which is, and I think probably with Philly, and. Um, with Boston to a certain extent, there was um, they were all more idiomatic movies, mm. more like super culturally specific, more subcultural in, in their in their in their nature. While these these Chicago Chicago is a place where you know where, where um, the Democratic convention uh, happens and people get beaten and the whole the whole world is watching and, and in chicago the whole world is watching and and mm-hmm. which is i think it's is a little bit different actually from some of these these, these other cities so chicago really emerges is, is this you know this, this really grand place in in, in america and in, in american life for me from just from doing this 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 podcast um which i in some ways i, I was vaguely i vaguely understood but i haven't really appreciated until i did this podcast uh, Vaughn, any any final thoughts before we finish up? Um, no, I, 
I, I think the, the only thing that I would really say is that I would love, um, this is going to be a shocker. I would love a bit more media on how socialist Chicago really is and how, mm. how there are so many um, community-based people's programs in the city and in the city's history. Um, I think that that deserves a lot more attention on, on a massive scale. Uh, it, as we said, it does come out a lot in um, Judas and the Black Messiah, but it, they, they have such a rich history of um, human rights being mm -hmm. important and organizing for it and labor activism and unions and really caring about, about lived experience in a city. And I think it's, it's almost a disservice probably that a lot of people, when they think of Chicago and film, they think of the gangster uh, mm -hmm. kind of era and prohibition and there's like violence and everything. And I mean, I'm guilty of this too. And then the next thing they think is just the violence of 1968. And you think so frequently about the, the kind of common to political commentaries on Chicago that it's used as this, um, this political weapon almost that it's, they have the most murders and there's drugs and violence in Chicago. But when you really look at the people who live there and the, the history of, of these very socialist movements that carried them through the depression and through the 1960s, through all of the civil rights movement um, and really through, through today with, with how they've been villainized through the Reagan era. Um, as we, we did the episode on the welfare queen who was based in Chicago, I believe for, for most of that. Um, you really miss out on, on a beautiful sense of the community of Chicago when you marginalize it as just this violent city. So I would, I would love some more media like that and less media like the kind of fantasy-esque mm -hmm. Ferris Bueller, um, that, that Reagan view of it. But on the whole, yeah, I, I definitely agree. This, this collection of films, these six were a great intersection, I think, where we saw a lot of different splices of what Chicago's history is like in the 20th century. Um, and into the 21st. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, agree with Vaughn. Hollywood uh, dramatizes some specific elements of Chicago, but marginalizes others. And I think um, mm -hmm. even like, even a sort of roving existential cinema as well, one season Ferris Bueller is, is, is very individualized, you know, there, there, there's a possibility and, and, and it had been tried in places like Italy in France to a lesser extent of, you know, trying to have, uh, you know, movies and narratives that are wider, that are about communities, coming together, working together and achieving collective goals as opposed to individ individual goals. Um, I think Jerusalem Black Messiah does some of that well and maybe can spark the possibility of that these kinds mm -hmm. of stories in the future but yeah i think it's a criticism of chicago films and i think it's a criticism of hollywood really yeah yeah 100 
Well, thank you guys very much for joining me today. It's uh, it was a real pleasure talking about Chicago on film. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, right from from Toby, from Vaughn, and myself, Simon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll have another episode for you in the near future. Take care. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.